Welcome to the sermon podcast of Sulphur Grove Church, one church in two locations in Huber Heights, Ohio. During our COVID-19 quarantine, we have a single combined service. We're so glad you're joining with us. Amen. Good morning, church. It is good to be here once again with you. It's a wonderful day. I want to take this time to first share a story with you, a personal story. I want to call it an after this experience, an after this experience. Around about 2005, I received a master's degree in industrial and organizational psychology. And I I got the degree because it complemented the work I was doing in the consulting field around training and organizational development. You see, I wanted to be the best I can be and, and I was loving what I was doing. And I thought that if, if I got this degree, that would help me be just that much better. I was right, it was a, it was a great experience. I, I, I got it and, and when I got it, I was able to use so many things I've learned and I, I had learned and I, I made a little extra money because I knew a few extra things and, 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 I, you know, and I knew that I still needed to do something else like feed the family more consistently. <laughs> You know, running, running your own consulting firm, any business is difficult. And there were some times when there was plenty and then there were times when there just wasn't enough. And, and I knew that this degree would also put me in a position where I could um, make enough money in a corporation with another company as a trainer. So I interviewed um, for a senior trainer's position Um, in South Carolina, and let me tell you, I I did well. I I aced this interview, and um, I spent the whole day with their team, and and at the end of the day, the human resource director said, you know, we only have one other person, and he comes nowhere near what you offer, the experience, the paper, and I was excited. She said, here's your office. It was this beautiful office and the glass, the windows wrapped around, you know, two thirds of the office. And I was high up looking over and all this good stuff. And, and, and it was a beautiful six figure salary that came with it. And I left that office, baby, I was flying. I was feeling good. I, I got into the elevator, I went down to the parking garage, I got into my car and I drove away and I looked back at the building and I heard God tell me, I can't give it to you. Just like that. And I began to cry. I cried all the way home to my sister-in-law's house. She lives in South Carolina. I stayed the night over there. I flew in early and I stayed the night over. This was only the second time that I heard God physically speak to me, an inner voice, but it was as clear as I'm speaking to you now. I had prepared myself for over four years for this moment. 
I had done everything I could. I had done everything right. But I was told, I cannot give this to you. And I knew what it meant. I knew I had been called into the ministry and I knew I had shirked that. I, I knew I wanted to do it this way, but God had a plan this way. So what I had, church, what I was left with, pulling away from this beautiful place that I wanted to be was a after this experience. God had come into my life and God had disrupted my life. He had a plan for my life and I had a plan for my life, but God's plan now was disrupting my life. I had prepared, I had invested time and money, I was proficient, I was professional, I was prepared, but God had other plans for my life. And I was stuck between what I wanted and what God wanted, and I was on the precipice of after this experience, after this moment, what will you do now, Marty? What is the next step? I would like to tell you that I, that I surrendered and I did everything God told me to do. I would love to tell you that lie, but I can't tell you that I, I didn't do that. I, I did not surrender and I tried again and again and I kept pushing at it and I tried to expand the business and it seemed as if the more I tried, the less success I had. I resisted and nothing worked. I worked against God because what God wanted wasn't what I envisioned. Well, church, eventually I surrendered and I went to seminary and I found peace. I, I, I'm not saying that everything is worked out exactly how I wanted, to, wanted it to work out and, or I had envisioned it in ministry. But every day I go home, I'm at peace. The lesson is simple here. God has a plan for our individual lives here on earth and a plan for our eternal life with God. But our desires, my desires, your desires, and lived experiences will often devise plans that are not consistent with God's plans. We resist God, don't we? We resist him sometimes. And, and if the truth be told, if the truth be told, if I ask you at home to raise a hand, if you have resisted God and maybe even worked against God, if we were painfully honest, some of you would have to raise an arm and a leg. I know I would. We resist God and even sometimes work against God. But at some point, at some point, if you truly are a child of God, you have an after this experience and you must decide then who you will be. Will you be Christ's friend or will you be Christ's enemy? And I wanna to suggest to you this morning, church, that this is the untold story of Palm Sunday. We, we, we tell the story of what Jesus did, but I want to suggest to you this morning that there is another story, a story that may be even more transformative than the one we usually tell, an untold story about who we are in the context 
of Palm Sunday, a story that I believe that will inspire you to look at this pandemic differently and your role, your space, and your place in it, to give you a God's vision, view, perspective of what is happening. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to save us to die for sin that he did not commit, that we may live eternally with you. Lord, we recognize that you have plans and that you have a plan and that our lived experience, experiences will often cause us to devise plans not consistent with those you have chosen for us. So Lord, it is because of this we come to you this Palm Sunday praising you for grace and mercy. Lord, we praise you for that grace and mercy that you continually bestow upon us. We give you praise with hope-filled hearts that a word will be given to us this morning, a word that will prepare us for the after this event. A word that will inform us of who we will be. And God's people said, amen. I would like to lift as a topic this morning, church, after this, after this, after this, who will you be? Our lived experiences or, or our lived experience this morning is that of being quarantined. Can I get an amen? amen. We all have a lived experience this morning of being quarantined. And, and maybe you're saying, well, not really, preacher. I, I get out and I do some things and I'll say, you know what, you're right. And you just want to be difficult and you want to make this sermon last a little longer. So I'm going to give you what you need. Maybe, maybe it's not exactly being quarantined, but at the very least, your lived experience is one of being restricted. It's a lived experience of being halted. It's a lived experience that is not like the life that you led a few weeks ago. But this will end. This experience, this life experience, this reality, this pandemic, this portion of life that we've been given in this time will end. And after this, the question is, who will we be? Like Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, the world, this pandemic is largely defined, listen to this now, by major disruption. We, we've always celebrated, you know, Jesus' entry as just this wonderful time, but in, 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 you know, in a spiritual sense, it was, but in a sociological, practical experience or sense or perspective, it was not. This was tumultuous. This was turmoil and, and maybe even chaos that someone was coming into the city and proclaiming himself to be king when Pontius Pilate was sitting in his palace representing Caesar as king and even God. This was a disruption 
and it had similarities consistent with ours. You see, they, they, they hoped that God would change their condition from being servants in, uh, uh, of Rome and, and, and under the heel of, of this oppressor the same way we hope that God will deliver us from this pandemic. There was fear of the future and the losses and the difficulties that would have to come because surely Rome wouldn't just roll over and say, okay, Jesus, that's a bad donkey you got. You got it. No, they would send legions of armies and there would have to have been some fear of losses and the difficulties to come. All the things that come with war. And maybe worse of all, there was chaos, but a specific kind, church, a theological crisis fueled by our stuff. We would have, the same way they were afraid, we are afraid of losses, are we not? Huh? We're washing our hands because we kind of feel like we want to be alive a little longer. And we're wearing masks, masks. That's a new word. We're wearing, <laughs> we're wearing masks because we want to keep germs out. We, we're afraid of the losses as well. And, and if we tell the truth, we're afraid of the difficulties that will come just like they were in, in Rome. The, the Jews were in Rome. How many of you got 80 rolls of toilet tissue? We're afraid of what's going to happen next. But worse than that, there was a chaos of, of, of which maybe the world has never experienced a theological crisis fueled by our stuff, our stuff being our perspective of what Jesus coming into Jerusalem means. Our stuff means our perspective of what this pandemic means at, uh, to people who say they belong to God. Our stuff. You know what I'm talking about? Is God present in this moment? And why would God let this happen? Um, Barry had to work with that last week. And did God do this? And, and, and here's a really good one. Is God surprised by it? Did this catch God off guard? Was he sitting in heaven on his throne and said, oh my God, and fell right off of his throne and said, I can't believe it a pandemic, and will God do something about everything we're afraid of? A theological crisis. A theological crisis. Time has placed us on the other side, church, of the crisis that happened in Jerusalem, however, 2,000 years plus. So we have what I want to suggest to you is a unique opportunity to view Palm Sunday through a God lens. To not see it the way is really quite joyful and easy for us to see it as what Jesus did for us and how Jesus did it but to understand it more fully, to, to enter into Palm Sunday this week with introspective honesty, 
to make Palm Sunday not something ethereal out there that has that happened at some point in time, but for Palm Sunday to become practical. For, for Palm Sunday to become internalized, for Palm Sunday to become my responsibility, for Palm Sunday to become an after this experience. You see, we have traditionally talked about Jesus' triumphal entrance into Jerusalem and what he did, but here's what I want you to consider. What Jesus did, Jesus did for us what he did he did for us so maybe we ought to talk about us this event is not just about Jesus it's about us this is a narrative that also talks about what God's people did and maybe that's even more important right now because we know that story very well. Maybe we need some insight into who and what we are. So I wanna talk about us. I wanna talk about us as so-called Christians in relationship to and with God. I wanna evaluate how the narrative of Jesus' triumphal entrance gives us insight into the same, that is, who we are. But to get there, we must understand two important principles. Stay with me, please. The first is we must understand that the people interacting with Christ at that time must become metaphors for the potentiality of our behavior. I'm gonna say that again. We have to understand that every person throwing a coat on the ground, every soul tossing a, a, a palm, every person saying Hosanna in the highest, every individual giving him praise and clapping a hand and stomping a feet and pushing through the crowd, every one of those individuals represent our human condition, our potentiality of behavior. Every person post Jesus' triumphal entrance that stood in a crowd and said, give us Barabbas over Jesus and crucify him. Every one of those persons represent the potentiality of our character. So the question is, after this, who will we be? You see, the people in the Bible represent the full spectrum of our behavior, the good, the bad, the indifferent. None of us can escape it. The Bible says there is, there is none that is good. No, not one. If we, if we lie and say we, if we say we sin, we lie against God. The Bible is clear that even our faith is not our own, that it is God's faith imputed to us, that our righteousness is is not even our own. We got to look deep into Palm Sunday and look past the, 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 the outer stuff, the, what, we, what we would call the um, um, uh, exoteric stuff. 
And we got to reach into the esoteric stuff and, and, dis, and define the inner meaning of what it means to be a child of God. And in order for us to do that, we have to accept the good and the bad that exists within us. And second, we need to know that a biblical archi ar archetype of Jesus' triumphal entrance was given to us before the event even happened. And that archetype is significant in understanding who we are and or who we might be after this. You see, that archetype substantiates the first takeaway I want to share with you. Jesus is Lord. It's the first thing. Nothing else matters, even an understanding of oneself, if we can't get that right. You see, without Jesus being Lord, we become Lord of self and will become whatever we desire, and that will be righteousness to us. But when Jesus is Lord, straight is what? Narrow is the gate and straight is the way. We become limited in our choices and our options. The first thing we must understand from verses 28 to 40 is that the word establishes clearly that Jesus is Lord. Well, preacher, how can you be sure of this? One of the ways we can be sure of this is by looking at Solomon as an archetype for Jesus's triumphal interest and entrance into Jerusalem. What I mean by archetype is that Solomon is a form, uh, a style, a structure, a precursor modeling Jesus's triumphal entrance into Jerusalem. He is not that thing, but he is a type of that thing. He's a model of that thing. It is literally pointing us towards Jerusalem and Jesus's entrance. It is also pointing us towards who the people around Jesus are, Christians. More importantly, it's a metaphor for the frailty of the human condition pertaining to the things of God. It shows the stark difference, Solomon's triumphal entry, and after that, what he did, and Jesus's triumphal entry, and after that, what he did. It shows the stark difference between who God is and who we are. I'm gonna tell a story real quick, and I'm gonna be out of your hair in a few minutes. You see, David, King David is dying, and his son Adonijah makes a play for the throne, even though David had already promised the throne to Solomon. So David diffuses the situation by setting up an elaborate coronation ceremony for Solomon. He put Solomon on his donkey. Starting to sound familiar? He put Solomon on his donkey. And he had Solomon ride into Jerusalem through the, through the Kidron Valley, the same path that Jesus would take, the same path that the Bible, the, the Old Testament would predict, Solomon comes down 
the kid through the Kidron Valley from the Mount of Olives through the East Gate and into Jerusalem just like Jesus. Just like Jesus. And the people are cheering and the people are excited and there is no doubt now riding his daddy's donkey you understand, riding the royal mule, there is no doubt who the king is. Solomon is an, is an archetype for Jesus, but the similarities stop there. You see, Solomon believed God and Solomon disbelieved God and trusted in idols, but Jesus trusted God even unto the death of the cross. The Bible says he hung his head into his shoulder and he said, Lord, I commend my spirit to you. Solomon sinfully took queens to wife so that he can have power in the region, but Jesus gave himself up for his bride. Solomon was polluted by foreign wives, but Jesus cleansed and sanctified the church, his bride. Solomon built temples and, and led them to, uh, to led the people to idol worship, but Jesus establishes his temple in us. And, and Solomon led the people into exile, but Jesus leads us to God and life eternal. Solomon died, but Jesus overcame death in the grave. This is a stark difference between the two, but what we have to accept, and it's hard, church, is that Solomon was a human being and so are we, so Solomon becomes a metaphor for our lives and even an archetype of how we really live. Amen. His majesty, Jesus' majesty, stands in stark contrast to Solomon. You see, Solomon screwed up his after this, who will you be moment. He rode in on his, on his donkey and it was all gravy, as the young people would say, meaning good. But he screwed it up. You see, church, here's what I'm getting at. If, if you didn't get it yet, it's not enough to ride in on a donkey to, and to be the man or the woman, the person of the hour. What you do after that is what counts. Church, it's not enough for us to recognize the true king, meaning Jesus the Christ, riding in and give him praise in our sanctuaries, and in this case, in our homes, and then after that, our lives are not emblematic of that Christ. The real issue is after this. And this is what Solomon's story invites us into, that introspective honesty, that place where we got to be honest with ourselves and say, there may be something amiss. So the second takeaway, takeaway and the last one is simply, so after this pandemic church, who will you be? After this pandemic, who will you be? Hear the word of God. It says, now when Jesus approached, it was read in your presence, but I want to read it one more time. It says, now when Jesus approached and saw the city, 
he wept over it. My God, I, I had not intended to include this in the scripture reading when I first started to study for this. But then out of nowhere, it became apparent to me that something else is going on here. This is not a celebration in and of itself. Something deeper, something more profound is going on here. If we never listen to Jesus, we ought to listen to Jesus when the Bible says that he wept. That, that something brought him to emotional, an emotional state where he began to cry. I, I, you need to understand this. Think about the times when you cry. You cry when you feel like you are hopeless. You cry when you feel like there is nothing you can do. You cry when you've been hurt deeply. You cry when you feel like you're tied up. And the Bible says that Jesus wept over the city. And if you read the rest of it, he basically says, I'm weeping because you all don't know who I am and even what I'm doing. You're giving me praise. You're ushering me into my kingdom as if you can give it to me. The Bible says that no man takes his life, but that the Son of Man lays it down willingly. You don't even know who I am, and you don't even know what I'm doing. We got to deal with that, church. We got to deal with that. Maybe it's time to put the palms down and understand what Jesus was crying about. He knew that they would choose Barabbas over him and cause him to be crucified. He knew that, that their betrayal would send him to the cross to suffer. He knew Peter would deny him three times and, and the disciples would scatter in fear. He knew that the Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes would return to their old sinful shenanigans and activities and the people would begin to idolize the world with a great Lost, he knew they truly did not know what his plan was, who he was, and what the disruption really meant. Do you really know, church, what this disruption really means yet? This thing we call a pandemic, have you given it a God interpretation yet? Do you really know what God is doing yet? So the question goes out. After the pandemic, after this, who will you be? Who will you be? Will you embrace the urgency to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and work while there is still daylight? Will that be your lot? Who will you be? Or will you return to the smallness of your life? You, you may think coming out of this pandemic will expand you, but that's your perspective. I want to suggest to you this morning that Jesus looked over the city and he wept 
because he saw smallness. And I believe, and I'm including myself in that number, that if he was to show up today, he would probably weep still. So the one thing we can't do is to return to where we have been. After this, after this pandemic, who will you be? Will you embrace your great commission to go ye therefore with fervency and power or will you return to the smallness of your life where you're defined by the next thing to do? Oh my God, if we're honest, we're driven by our schedules. We don't drive it. Will you be driven by the next thing to do instead of the one thing you were called to do? Only you can answer that question. And I want to say to you, church, I believe in you. I believe in you. I believe in myself, not because of myself, but because God promised to be with us. I believe that if you decide today that you're just not going to sit this thing out and wait it out and make sure that you have enough rolls of toilet tissue and, and enough bacon. I like bacon. I got to make sure I have enough bacon. And enough bacon. If, you just are not, if, if you're just not going to sit this thing out, but that you're going to open up your word and you're going to engage the, the Bible studies that Sofa Grove has online. And, and, and if your group is not meeting, you're going to encourage them to, to meet via phone, smoke signal, do something. That you're going to figure out what God might be saying in this moment because you don't want Jesus to show up and to weep over Sofa Grove. Who will you be? I believe that you're going to be great. I believe you have it in you. I've seen it from day one. And in the name of Jesus, I'm calling it out of you. May the God of peace bless you. Thank you for listening today. We'll see you next week, or you can find us online at sulfurgrove.org.